Morning. Hello, Paul. How are you? Lovely. Very happy. You all right? You're very happy? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, about your family, mm-hmm. a bit about that, um, and uh, then about you as a child growing up and that kind of thing? Right? Hello, everybody. My name's Paul Sarnison, 51 years young. I work as chaplain in two schools now here. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and at Sir Robert Woodard, formerly known as Bounston, over in Lansing and something on a Thursday, Friday. Uh, I have four wonderful children, um, and w- my wife Heather, uh, and a dog Bella, and several fish, and etc., uh, etc. Et uh, and we've lived in Littlehampton since 1996. Prior to that was Kingston upon Thames, yeah. and it goes back to Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, which is where I was born, uh, in the home of Elim Pentecostal Movement, which is where my dad was his first pastor. We got set in in Cheltenham. And St Paul's Hospital was my place of birth, I was told, but a year later moved to Nottingham for a few years placement there, and then Kingston-upon-Thames was kind of my childhood teenage home until we moved here when I was 26. So tell me a bit about you growing up as a child, um, your relationship with God, that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, got dragged along to church every, every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. That's why I got big ears, I think, it's because I had to go because he was the pastor's kid, so you've got to be there. And I was the only teenager young person there at the church it was really boring um, and then the evening it was even more boring I got used to doing my homework which was great I got it all done on Sunday night because it was done at church um, but there was something in it particularly and I think I've told some of you this story before Millie uh, who's no longer with us now I had the privilege of going to her funeral a couple of years ago and Millie was a, an older member of the congregation who when I was 13 14 15 she'd have a chocolate bar ready for me at the end of the service uh, and that was initially my main motive of saying hello to Millie at the end of church how are you Millie love to see you Millie um, but as the months went on, it wasn't the chocolate bar that came important. It was the identity. It was the, the recognition. It was the how are you and how is school going uh, that Millie kept me going to church when there was no reason, really. It was boring. I had no friends. What was this about? Uh, and then a, a gentleman called Ishmael came and spoke at our church, and he spotted me as a 14-year-old, a spotty 14-year-old. He spotted me, and he saw something in me and said, why don't you come and help me out at this event called Spring Harvest um, to work with children? And I thought, all right, I'm bored here, so I might as well be bored somewhere else, so I'll go with you. And had an amazing week of seeing God at work through children and young people. And I thought, whoa, I'm missing out on something here. This is not just for them, this is for me. And it reminded me afresh of, as a child, my dad ran a camp called um, Elian Bible Camp on the Isle of Wight. And it was two weeks with one shower in the middle. And um, a lot of grungy kids from all over the UK, including me. And I watched them worship. And I remember in a tent saying to my dad, can, can I be this Christian thing and he prayed for me and, and it, that was kind of the start of the spark but it was in my teenage years with Ishmael and the, and the glory company as was uh, that I thought yeah this is not just for me this is something that can be through me and into others and, and so I learned a lot from the children and young people I worked with as a teenager uh, and I'm not back from that day. And then what was life like for you as a young person then? Did you, so you knew God when you were young uh, a child but did you have to make some choices when you were like a young person what happened yeah. in those years well uh, we my dad you don't get paid much when you're a minister of an Elim church and my mum wasn't kind of allowed to work it wasn't the thing to do in those early days so we were on free school meals and it kind of threw out a whole well I didn't know any different but you'd go a special queue to get your, your ticket and then you have to go to a special queue to get your food and your ticket in. and there was this kind of polarisation of all those that were poor and vulnerable and I was one of them with my free school meals. I was desperate not, and all my mates went to school on the bus and I had to walk and one of my mates Stephen Tibbs year 7 uh, his dad ran Safeway 
and he would pay for my bus fare so I could hang out with my mates. And I, I saw the generosities of those who had uh, for those that didn't, uh, and I saw the pain, and I felt the pain that those that don't have could experience when you, you've got nothing. And, and it, and it kind of stirred something in with me about an injustice, and this is not right. People shouldn't be treated differently because they don't have an income. Um, and so I didn't find an outlet for that until early on, uh, until later on. In the early days, it was just kind of what's right, what's wrong, you know, when you're going out with girls, what can you do, what can't you do. Um, I never got involved in any of the drug scene, although it's kind of around. And, and I was pretty much a squeaky clean uh, teenager going through life. I, my little brother, uh, who was six years younger than me, he, he did all the opposite to me. <laughs> he wouldn't mind me telling you that either. Uh, um, and I'm a really good friend of him, but... Yeah, for whatever reason, I was protected from some of those challenges that many young people go down. And, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I also have the privilege of working with many young people who, for whatever reason, have slipped and have fallen and that they want to hand back up. So tell, you then started working with young people. So you got, uh, presumably, you got married then to Heather. Yeah, 21. How old were you then? I was 21 years old. 21 when yeah. you got married. I remember going to the pub and telling everyone I was engaged. And they said, oh, is your girlfriend pregnant then? Like, to be honest, we haven't had sex yet, so no chance of that one. And, and, and it's like, no, uh, oh, well, why are you getting married then? And I said, well, I, I think I found the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Uh, and that was an interesting message into, because you know, I was just turned 21, so come out of college and a, and a bit of building work that I'd done. Um, and so, yeah, you know, wonderful choice uh, that we made early on because we just felt so, so perfect together. And then what brought you down to Littlehampton and ultimately to working with young people? How, what was that journey like? Well, uh, the Wickbourne Chapel, which is now the Wickbourne Centre, uh, they had a real passion for the Wick Estate. Uh, and the, the vicar of that place at the time, a guy called Kevin, he, he managed to get cobbled together some church people with money and the council with money and agencies with money, but wanted to channel it through a Christian agency. So they got in touch with Spurgeon's, which is a, which is a, is a national charity. And meanwhile, I was a youth worker in a church, in my home church in Surbiton, and we we just had our first child, Zach, and my parents had just separated, and I was going through all the pain and the grief of that loss uh, as a 25, six-year-old, and my first son had been born, and so Heather had given up her work. She was earning twice what I was earning in London, and, and we were like, we were skint. We, we didn't know how we were going to do this, and I met my kind of mentor in church, and I said, told him the story, and he went back to his office, and he worked at Youth Work magazine, and that day, he had a phone call from Kevin in Littlehampton, who said, we've got this money together, and we're looking at trying to attract the right person to come and set up a project on the Wick Estate. And John Buckridge went, I know who you need to talk to. And literally within uh, 24 hours, I was on the phone to a stranger from Wick who said, would you consider coming down to this job? Um, and so I came down. We'd, loved, we'd been to Littlehampton because of Ishmael and Heather and I would come down to, to kiss on Climping Beach before we had kids because you could do that before you had kids and, <laughs> and just have wonderful days out down there. Um, and and came down and as I say the rest is history that just everything rolled together beautifully so I moved away from Kingston and this community became my home and has been for the last 27 years so tell us a bit about what happened when you with with why what what were some of the things that you started and uh you know, what were some of the stories that you saw at that yeah. time? My bosses said, Paul, shut up and listen. And they knew me quite well. And, and it was early days, we got two ears and one mouth. 
And it's when I started realising we've got to do a lot more listening as people of faith because we think we know all the answers uh, and often we tell people what we think the answers are and we haven't allowed people to share with them the pain and the journey they're going on. So my bosses said, Paul, three months, shut up and listen. So I went out into the community and listened to people in various different settings from, from hairdressers to the laundrette to the pubs. It's all part of the work and research, of course. And went out and, and what, what, what do you feel about this community? What's right? What's not right? What's working? And, and we put all that together into like a little report called What Makes Wick Tick? And it's in the library now. Apparently, I've been told it's kind of an archive document that's been put in the library. And we had 13 dreams um, that the community had come up with. And 12 of them, I thought, yeah, it's all possible. And we kicked on the 13th one. They wanted a purpose-built, excellent community centre with a cafe in it and, and a meeting place in it. And, like, and I thought, well, that's going to cost millions, so forget that one, but let's work on the others. And so we set up with people like Elle and John and Mark and many others in this room who, as young people engaged, as well as adults, Dave drove all the way across to Romania with a group of students. Others in this space have given. Um, and, and we just started... Get given money and, and getting, we were there at a time where there was money out there to do community work and it rolled and it grew and at one stage we were employing 26 people uh, working in various things from breakfast clubs to radio stations to summer festivals and then the WIC Centre came along which of course the Whitbourne Centre came along which was number 13 on the list um, and, and so you just go wow we are riding, I've been privileged to ride a wave of prayer and of prophecy that the generations before in this whole community across all the churches have been praying for and fasting for 30, 40 years ago and, and I have the privilege of getting my surfboard out and ride those waves of prayer uh, into this place right now and then of course the most amazing thing happened was that you were given a job here yeah. in the academy. It's hilarious. Which is amazing, isn't it? So um, The first time I walked into this school, right, yeah. I got, there was a deputy head teacher, and she said, oh, I like what you're doing. This was in the early days of the wire. So she gave me a room at Littlehampton Community School um, to paint and decorate and to turn into a counselling centre. But she forgot to tell the head teacher. So the head teacher got cross when he found out and contacted this local vicar called Roger Purdom, who got really cross when he found out. And Roger's a best friend of mine now, but he was running Parkside Church. So so he wrote to my boss at Spurgeon and says, what is this person doing trying to undermine all the good work the churches are doing by running a counselling centre in the school? And it's surreal how sometimes we fall out where we start, but they could become our strongest friendships. And, and I realised then that there was a possibility of working in this school, but we're talking 25 years ago. And the head teacher on his leaving due, and I was invited because I was a governor then, apologised publicly for the way he handled my initial interaction with the school. And I was just doing what I felt was right, but I hadn't gone through the right channels. And, and now, so I was a governor here for nine years before coming chaplain here ten years ago with a, with a chapel space in the heart of the school. And it was designed that the representative of the Christian faith would be at the heart of all that goes on in this community. And that we could draw those of all faiths and no faiths together to, to find a way together to discover whose image we're made in. And, and that no matter what mistakes we've made in life God will never stop loving us he can't stop loving us anymore and he won't stop loving us uh, any less and, and that's my message that I've had the privilege of living out for 10 years so how did you become a chaplain then because you know like we are in a faith school yes. and or well we're in a school that is really Designated Church Christian. of England yeah, Des- yeah, almost. Church of England isn't it well that's, that's what they want is. it to be so how did you so you weren't ordained or anything I wasn't what, ordained so I didn't have a degree how did this even happen 
Uh, my mum must have been involved because I reckon she wrote the job description. Because when I saw it, I looked at it, I thought, my mum could have written this. This has got my name all over it. But I didn't have a degree. I wasn't ordained. I wasn't wearing the dog collar. And they all were at the interview. Um, and it was interesting. It was a two-day interview in a, a hotel in Hove because it was also for Sir Robert Woodard as well, ironically. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've just thought about that. Uh, they were interviewing for Sir Robert Woodard Chaplin and for the chaplain here. And I said, I don't want the Sir Robert Woodard. I'm only focused on Little Hampton. I actually said that at the interview. Such a liar I was because there I am now. Um, and... And I just, you just felt anointed and you just felt, I was well out of my depth. You know, I've, I haven't got a clue how the Church of England works. You know, within, when I got the job, four weeks, I'm a lady in Walsingham, which has got a shrine to St. Mary and a Lady Mary and, and the smells about, and we're praying for the dead. And, and, and it's incredible and amazing because I've learned so much about that culture, having come out of the Ealing Pentecostal and being a part of the pioneer. And it's so wonderful to work across the spectrum of faith. Uh, and how I'm here, I just, it's, it's God's miracle and, and I'm still here. What do you love most about being a chaplain? The ability... So Thursday... But this week... This week, I've, I was trying to count. I've spoken to over 3,000 young people in four different schools uh, around burdens and around breathing. Uh, in our own school, we had our own Thanksgiving assembly on Tuesday. Then um, I go over to Boundstone, do assemblies there. I was at Lansing College doing their Eucharist service in the morning and then at Hurst Pier Point on Friday doing their break-up for half-term two mass celebrations. And I get invited because they, they like the working-class bloke to come into the rich schools. <laughs> and they're doing their bit for charity um, <laughs> and connecting. And, and talking about burdens and, t- and talking about breathing and the importance of those. But, but on Thursday morning at Sir Robert Water, this year 10 girl comes in, never met. I said, uh, you, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, come in. She's got a pizza for lunch break. And she, she sits down and she takes the first bite and she said, my dad abandoned me when I was four and I hate him. I've never seen him and I hate him, but he abandoned me. And, and, and I've discovered I've got 13 others, brothers and sisters. And, and my granddad's dying with cancer and, and he's, he's my rock. And, and I messed about with boys and, and I've just stopped smoking and I gave up cannabis four weeks ago. And she's just going, and I say, pause, eat another bit of pizza. Let's take a breath because it's getting cold. And then she carries on. And I said, you okay? She said, yeah, I just feel so much lighter. Thank you. And I haven't done anything other than listen. And, and then she goes, the bell goes, and, and off she goes. And I just sit there in my new chapel office space thinking, the power of listening. You know, almost the confessional that took place there was somebody, I said, have you told anybody this? And I've not told anybody this, what I've gone through. I just, you know, you've been here a few weeks. Some people said you're a nice guy to talk to. So, so to know that the young people carrying so many burdens, so much load, so much stress and pressure and grief that's historical present, and then suddenly they can just vomit it all up and, 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 and not be judged you know, not being kind of, oh, you shouldn't have done that. No, no just listen and, and show the love that I believe in and then maybe have a conversation about that love one day. That's incredible. Um, and then another thing that I think is really incredible is that you get to um, have prayer week here. Just tell us a little bit about prayer week and why that is so significant. Yeah, I mean, prayer for us, some of us has taken on a different spectrum. I, I'm really into contemplation now, creating space of pauses, allowing time just to think and to hear and to see God at work in creation and in the person next to you. And, and so for 10 years, we've been running a prayer space in the chapel and in the classroom where you can look at forgiveness and self-esteem and communication. We've got mirrors and bubble tubes, and you've seen it if you've been in there. We've even now got the prophetic team praying over the prayers and giving responses to those prayers. It's incredible. Whether they read them or not, I don't know, but God works in 
in amazing ways. And so we have volunteers, many in this space, come and help young people engage in prayer for the first time. And we've seen so many things released. We've seen so much pain put up on the wall. And we had an accidental primary school come in last year because they were here for something else and, and it was raining. I said, oh, why not come in the prayer space? And so this academic year, prayer week is, is going to be well, like it always is. And then we're going to keep, I forgot to ask, is it all right if we, anyway, I'll ask later. No, actually, I've got a good one. Is it okay if one Sunday this is not available because we're going to keep it set up over the weekend so that on the Monday all the primary schools are going to come in through to the Thursday and our young people who've done prayer week before will be facilitating the primary schools with prayer week. So I won't need any help that week, sorry, but thank you. Um, and, and we're going to see that trickle down into the primary schools just to give people a chance to stop. We have silence at TLA when we have exams. Brilliant. We have silence when we have a fire drill. Fantastic. If you're sent to Intex because you're naughty, you have to sit in silence. We need to reclaim silence back because that's where God speaks in the silence. And so at prayer space, we do that. And often it's the bubble zone and people just sitting in stillness with a bit of music and some bubbles. And they, they say, this is the best way. Why? Because I just paused and I just stopped and I just remembered that I'm a human being, not always a human doing. And, and yeah, once we get people to a place of being a human being, you know, they can see the image they're made in. And tell us, what, what do you feel God is saying to you personally at the minute? What has he's been speaking to you about? Breathing. <laughs> it's, a hot, it's something we all do very well or very badly. Um, but actually what I've discovered is we're not doing breathing very well. Uh, we don't breathe from our proper capacity of our lungs. We don't get the oxygen we need down to the psoas, which is the muscle of our soul, which means we've not always got the energy to do. We should be getting 90% of our energy from the oxygen and the air we breathe. We're getting about 15 to 20%. What's this got to do with your faith, Paul? Well, the pneuma, or the ruha, as we know it, is breath and Holy Spirit. And when God breathed on this, this cosmos, this, this void, you know, things happen. And when Jesus walked in and breathed on his disciples, they didn't say, have you been eating garlic? They received the Holy Spirit because the breath has power. The words we say and speak over people break or heal people. So we need to start breathing better. So I'm getting a generation of young people to breathe. And so we sit in the chapel or we, get, we do staff briefings where we have our hands on our tummy and we breathe in through our nose and we breathe out through our mouth. Because so many young people and adults are living with anxiety and panic attacks and worry and they're not breathing properly. And you can't work with people who are having a panic attack. You have to get them to a place of breathing. And when they're breathing, that stillness that comes, then they can feel God at work. They can see God at work. They can hear God at work through love and encouragement and value and, and start to rebuild self-esteem. So I'm getting people breathing. And then when we're breathing, we're looking at all the burdens that we can lift off people. Burdens of fear, burdens of comparison. And so I've been carrying bricks around the last week in a rucksack, going to all these schools, and the private schools particularly, and walking in, doing the sermon, as they call it, with the bricks in the rucksack, and then revealing these bricks and pointing them out and saying, fear, fear is in so many lives. Let's not fight it. Let's understand it. Let's use it. Telling the story of Greta Thunberg, the new prophetic voice to this generation, who no matter of her mutism and her Asperger's and her depressed, depression that's been diagnosed, she has used those things as a springboard to communicate change about an incredible issue. And she's 16. It was 13 that she had the revelation. This is what she's got to do. And as a 16-year-old, you know her story. And that's all because she's recognised her burdens and she's standing on them, not trying to fight them, but using them to proclaim this incredible message of change. And so, yeah, that's what I'm living with at the moment. That's what I'm sharing with young people and adults if they'll listen, because we're all change makers and often we're all, well, we're all carrying rucksacks of stuff. Let's not fight them. Let's understand them. Let's share them with each other and let's use them to be a springboard to make change. That's brilliant. And what about... What do you feel thankful for in your life? Well, t- 
tick box family. Um, obviously, so grateful for my family that I have, very close. Uh, they bring incredible joy and incredible pain. <laughs> Choices that they make, attitudes that they bring, I bring into that can be like, oh, what is this about? And then, then you have moments of joy and, and, and life and inspiration. My faith is so important to me. Um, my food, I love food. I think food is really important. I love eating around a table. I love, I love cooking. It's Promise's birthday party tonight. She's got 15 mates around. We're making, I'm making pizzas while they do whatever they do. And I love all that. And I love watching people eat and enjoy each other's company around a table. I love football. West Ham, rubbish at the moment again. But I love my football and, and, and my friends, friendship. If there's an order, it's faith and family and friendships and food and football. They're all Fs as well. Um, but I love yesterday driving back from Arundel. My son's just bought a flat and I'm de- helping decorate it. I drove him back as the sun's going down, down that Ford Road that takes you past the station. And then two swans take off from the field to my left and just take over the road while I'm driving slowly because the lights are flashing on the, the Ford crossing. And the sun's going down on the right, a little bit like that. And I just watch and I'm thinking, don't have a crash, don't have a crash. But this, just want to watch these two swans who've been together, no doubt, since the early days and we'll be together and if one dies that's it and, and they just fly off into the sunset I'm going there's God right there speaking to me in terms of peace and community and togetherness and, and creation just as I'm driving back with dirty fingernails from paint uh, and so uh, that's what I love. I love I love creation I love friendships and I love my family and, and all, of, all of God that they say to me all of Christ because I'm seeing Christ so much more now that I was in my 20s and 30s. I'm seeing Christ in so many more things that I just ignored or I was too tired or I wasn't looking up enough. And, and now I'm seeing Christ in, in almost everything, uh, which is really exciting. And one last thing, and I haven't prepped you for this, but um, what can we pray for you, for, um, for the school here, um, for the job that you do? What, what support and what prayer do you need? Many of you are praying, and I feel it. I know there are people praying far and wide for, for the work of the chapel and for my work here. I, I think that there's a strength that's required and I feel it. So I'm breathing better so I'm stronger. I used to get to two o'clock and literally I could doze off at my desk because of the emotional load and because of the spiritual battle in one sense that we're facing. So those continued prayers are incredible. Words of encouragement. If you, there's a whole bunch of millies out there and there's a whole bunch of young people in here. And... Whew, you know, you don't have to do... I don't like chocolate anymore. <laughs> um, I don't eat chocolate anymore, but, but we, we need more millies for these young people. We need older people who will give them time and ask them how they are. And they're not going to bite. Uh, and they might, not, they might grunt, uh, or they might out everything that's going on. But we, we need congregations full of millies who will be that love and that care and that genuine interest to the younger generation. Because uh, I, I can't do it all. I, I'm not set myself to do it all. But I can support millies um, uh, to do that. So, so, yeah, a generation of millies out there would be wonderful. Male and female millies, that's not a problem. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Paul. Anything else that you want to say? You just No, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. <laughs> well, we, um, we're very, very grateful for all the things that you do and all the things that you have done in the community here. And uh, just your heart and your passion for this place. And... Uh, we are very grateful to God that you are here, and I know that. Um, I know that. So there's you doing a bit with the change in yes. job. Just say a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so uh, Monday to Wednesday here, TLA, uh, doing what I do. Um, hopefully, Mikey, do you have your interview, Mikey? Yeah. How'd it go? Did he pass? 
Excellent. <laughs> Michael is becoming an unpaid employee of this school, but he is paid by our church. And he'll be sitting at my desk Thursdays to Fridays. The chapel door will be open again and lunch and time. And then he'll have young people coming in and vomiting up stuff while they're eating their pizza. And that's wonderful because one of my biggest re- re- uh, regrets of leaving TLA two days a week was there's a need here Thursday and Fridays. It doesn't stop. Those young people don't say, oh, okay, I'll, I won't have any problems today. And, and of course, there's incredible staff that are sitting right here. You know, we've got the gizmo and the webs and, and all the rest of it showing love in a very professional way um, but Mike is going to be here to pick up that slack and also you know God multiplies things there's a lady called Janet Webb who is going to come and be a chaplain one day a week at the sixth form uh, and you know I've been waiting for years to have a team and now I've got two of them and I won't be here to work at that team so Thursday morning early doors I drive over to Lansing try and miss all that rubbish traffic that I know some of you do and, and I've got a little office and I've got a chapel that's not very well designed it's got a wooden floor so two people whispering to each other everybody hears so we're getting that carpeted um, and then we're going to open it up as a space that staff and students can use to celebrate, to dine in, uh, and to communion, c- take communion in, because we do that. We've got communion this week here at TLA. Um, and yeah, I, I need the churches in Shoreham to rise up like you guys and the other churches have to get behind the prayer week that we're going to do there after Christmas, because we're taking prayer week on the road to Sir Robert Woodard Academy. Uh, and who knows where, you know, if I can find a way of rising up individuals who've got a passion to do chaplaincy, like Mikey's got the passion and the ability, that maybe I can start little fires elsewhere, spend a little bit too much time on the road, not get too far from young people, but see more chaplaincy happen in other schools, maybe an Amory school, that would be a miracle, but then this is a miracle here, never thought it would happen. Um, wouldn't that be great? And, and I guess I've got 10 years worth of skills to throw into that, so let's see what happens, eh? That's brilliant. Right, well, we would love to. Let's, um, let's give him a clap, shall we? Paul, do you want to go and stand in the middle? And uh, let's stand up, shall we? The band are wondering.